Good morning and welcome to Current Radio. It's Wednesday, December 27th. Today we're discussing how Americans are growing increasingly dissatisfied with the primary election process and major political parties, according to an AP North poll. We'll also delve into the rising fears of a widened Middle East war with U.S. troops potentially in the firing line. Plus, we'll explore how Russia is using POWs as a political weapon against Kyiv and the political battle that's unfolding in Poland's media revolution. All this coverage and more, up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Politics Station. Please enjoy today's selection of political news. A recent poll by the Associated Press Nork Center for Public Affairs Research reveals a growing skepticism among Americans about the primary election process and the future of both major political parties. Abby, our political correspondent, is here to delve into the details. Abby, what's causing this widespread mistrust? Well, Michael, the skepticism seems to be stemming from a variety of factors. For one, there's been a lot of controversy and misinformation around the 2020 election results, particularly from former President Donald Trump, who falsely claimed the election was rigged. This has led to a significant number of Republicans expressing doubt about the accuracy of vote counts in upcoming elections. So it seems like the fallout from the 2020 election is still very much present. How is this impacting the confidence in the parties themselves? The poll found that about a quarter of U.S. adults have little to no confidence that either the Democratic or Republican parties have a fair process for selecting a presidential nominee. This lack of trust extends to independents as well with about half of them expressing low confidence in both parties' processes. There's also a general pessimism about the future of both parties, with about half of U.S. step adults expressing pessimism about the future of the Republican Party and 45% feeling the same about the Democratic Party. That's quite a bleak outlook. But it's not just about the parties, right? There's also a lack of confidence in the candidates these processes produce. Exactly, Michael. The poll shows that both Democrats and Republicans are not especially confident that their party's process will result in a candidate who can win the general election in November. There are also doubts on both sides that the emerging candidates will represent their party's views or the views of Americans overall. So what does this mean for the future of American politics? Are there any solutions being proposed to address these issues? The poll doesn't provide any direct solutions but it does highlight the need for greater transparency and fairness in the electoral process. Some Americans, like Christine Allen from Maryland, suggest that the two-party system might be preventing talented leaders from holding office. Others, like Mark Richards, a middle school teacher from Ohio, see the nominating system as inherently flawed due to the influence of money from PACs and super PACs. It's clear that there's a lot of work to be done to restore faith in the American electoral process. Thanks for your insights, Abby. Meanwhile, the escalating attacks on U.S. troops and commercial shipping, often involving Iran and its proxies, are raising concerns that the conflict in Gaza could widen into a regional conflagration with serious political and economic consequences. Abby, our foreign affairs correspondent, is here to delve deeper into this issue. Abby, what's the current situation? Michael, the situation is indeed alarming. The increasing possibility of U.S. combat deaths and a worsening security situation from the Indian Ocean to the Red Sea is a major foreign crisis as President Biden's re-election year begins. This is becoming a test of America's will and credibility by its adversaries and their proxies. Can you tell us more about these tests of America's credibility? Certainly. There have been several incidents recently that have heightened tensions. 
For instance, Biden ordered airstrikes against facilities used by pro-Iranian Kataib Hezbollah militia fighters in Iraq, who the U.S. accused of using a drone to attack Erbil Air Base, critically injuring an American service member. This was just the latest attack by Iranian proxy groups against U.S. forces in Syria or Iraq. What about the situation on the seas? We're hearing about attacks on commercial shipping as well. Yes, there have been multiple drone attacks on commercial shipping, which have prompted some freight lines to reroute their vessels around Africa instead of the more economical passage through the Suez Canal. This has sparked fears for the global supply chain. Iran has repeatedly denied involvement in these attacks. So what are the potential consequences of this worsening security situation? Well, the potential for a dangerous escalation of the war is high and U.S. forces are directly exposed. If U.S. soldiers are killed or naval assets are seriously damaged, Washington would have little choice but to get more involved in the Middle East. This is something the last three presidents have tried to avoid. What about the economic implications of a broadened conflict? A broadened conflict could have painful economic consequences given the Red Sea's critical importance to global supply chain routes for energy and goods. The potential for disruption in the Suez Canal, which offers the shortest sea route between Europe and Asia, was laid bare when a ship got stuck across its breadth in 2021, causing global reverberations. This sounds like a precarious situation for President Biden. How is this likely to affect his political standing? The possibility of military action in the Middle East is the last thing that Biden would have hoped to be dealing with as 2024 begins. Any impression that the president is struggling to exert authority on a world that sometimes seems to be spinning out of control could be politically detrimental at a time when Biden is plagued by approval ratings of less than 40 percent. It seems like a complex and challenging situation. Thanks for your insights, Abby. On another note, the war in Ukraine has taken a toll on families, particularly those with loved ones held as prisoners of war. Abby, our correspondent for Current, is here to shed some light on this issue. Abby, can you tell us more about the situation? Absolutely, Michael. The situation is indeed heart-wrenching. Valentina Tkachenko, a mother of two from Chernihiv, hasn't seen her husband Serhii, a National Guard soldier, since the day Russia invaded Ukraine. He was captured while defending the Chernobyl nuclear power plant and has since been held as a prisoner of war. That's a distressing situation. How are the families of these POWs coping, and what are they doing to try and get their loved ones back? Many families have been reaching out to Ukrainian authorities and the International Committee of the Red Cross. They've written letters and made countless calls, but information has been scarce. Valentina, for instance, only heard from her husband once through a short handwritten note and then a brief video call six months later. It's a situation of immense uncertainty and anxiety. It's hard to imagine the emotional toll this must be taking. What about the Ukrainian government? What are they doing to address this issue? The Ukrainian government has been working to facilitate prisoner exchanges. In fact, 2,598 people have returned from Russian captivity during 48 swaps, according to the Ukrainian military. However, the last major exchange was on August 7th, and the process has slowed down significantly since then. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has attributed this to reasons from the Russian Federation. That's a significant number of people returned, but there are still many more in captivity. What's the current estimate of Ukrainian POWs? As of now, Russia holds more than 3,000 Ukrainian soldiers and some 28,000 civilians, according to the Ukrainian Ombudsman's Office and Reintegration Ministry. However, the real number may be even higher. The Ukrainians have not disclosed how many Russians they hold, 
but they're building a second POW camp to accommodate them. It seems like a complex situation. What are the conditions like for these POWs? The conditions are reportedly harsh. More than 90% of returning Ukrainian POWs have reported being subjected to torture, deprivation of sufficient nutrition and sleep, and forced consumption of Russian propaganda. Russia, on the other hand, insists it is treating its POWs well. The International Committee of the Red Cross has visited POWs on both sides of the front, but Russia hasn't fully opened its facilities to outside inspection. It's a dire situation indeed in Ukraine. Let's hope for a resolution soon. Thanks for your insights, Abby. Now moving over to Poland, the country's new pro-EU government is making significant changes to free state media from the political influence of the previous ruling party, Law and Justice, PS. This move has sparked a political war. Abby, can you break down what's happening in Poland? Absolutely, Michael. The new government, led by Prime Minister Donald Tusk, has fired and replaced directors of state television, radio, and the Polish press agency, and has also closed at least one station and canceled politically motivated programs. This is a significant shift from the previous Pies government, which used state media as a tool for promoting its Eurosceptic views and attacking opposition. So it sounds like a complete overhaul of the state media, but I understand there's been some pushback. Yes, the PS party and its loyalists have been protesting these changes. They've been appointing their own people to key posts and occupying buildings housing state television and the Polish press agency. They're accusing the new government of authoritarianism and trampling on media freedom. President Andrzej Duda, a PS loyalist, has also expressed his disagreement with the way the changes are being implemented. And how is the new government responding to these accusations? Prime Minister Tusk has defended the changes, arguing that they're necessary to undo the damage done by the old PS government. He's been quite firm about his intentions to restore legal order and decency in public life. However, it's not just the PS party that's raising concerns. Civil society groups and independent media are also expressing worries about the legality and the abruptness of these changes. It's a complex situation. What are the potential outcomes here? It's hard to predict, Michael. The new government is determined to push through these changes, but they're facing opposition not just from the PS party, but also from President Duda. The situation is further complicated by the fact that the Constitutional Tribunal, which could potentially mediate this dispute, is itself compromised due to illegal appointments by the PIS. It's a tangled web of political maneuvering and legal challenges. Indeed, a tangled web. Thanks for the insights, Abby. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Current Radio. We'll see you back here tomorrow.